You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. To tell the truth, you know. Okay. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, August 27th, and we are recording live, but you may not be listening to us live. And Mr. Prasky just changed his background to today's topic, which we are talking about with Karen Falloon of Southview Design. And that is a Southview Design behind Andy. Let me take a lean. That's gorgeous. I I still don't think Andy's hair would move if he jumped in that pool. It doesn't. It It just just lifts and floats away. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Karen, say, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, I will say that that pool is called a plunge pool. It's not a hot tub. I it's like it. Cool, it's cool water. And for really tight or small, small yards or tight spaces, you could put that kind of pool in your yard. Uh, and it, I mean, if you're not swimming laps and you just want to sit in cool water, then yeah. you know, a plunge pool, which is less expensive than the regular standard size pool and you could still have fun outdoors in what on the really hot days like like, uh same day installs like today we could get this done (laughs) no (laughs) no (laughs) like that what does something like that cost karen well the plunge pool oh it depends i guess on on where we how do we have to get it into your backyard and whether or not you wanted stone on the backside or a waterfall dropping into the pool but we're looking at like uh somewhere around 15 to 20,000. Uh, that's not a bad price to, for something that that looks like that. It does yeah. that that probably doesn't include all the landscaping though. Oh no, no it doesn't. Uh, but there are say urban landscapes that really can't support a standard size pool 20 by 40 or 18 by 36 uh just because of the setbacks. So a smaller plunge pool works perfectly in fact one of our more recent projects, uh, they put a hot tub right next to the plunge pool so that they could sit in the plunge pool and go back and forth between the hot tub and the plunge pool. So hot and cold, hot and cold. So, so even in the weather like we've had, this this pool has a mechanical system that mm-hmm. actually keeps the water cool. Yes, it does. So, yes. So, and and it keeps circulating. So it's you would have to take care of it, maintain it just like a regular pool. Pools are high maintenance, though. You got to remember that. More, more than Rooney, or <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> Just met me. Give her time. Ask her that same question at the end of the show. Okay. But yeah, you're you're right. Pools are um, they're definitely maintenance. They definitely cost some money. <clears throat> but now, I mean, even with this whole pandemic thing, they've been a big thing in the real estate industry. Well, and they've been a really big thing. Normally, you know, people look at pools when they go to buy a house and it's, you know, they start to consider whether or not they want to uh, maintain those pools. And we've had some people who just fill them in. But uh, we, for a while there, uh, for the last, for a couple of weeks there in July, we were getting seven or eight pool requests a week. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, that's going to put us right into 2021. But your standard size pool or one that's 18 by 36 can range anywhere from 30,000 to 70,000. And then if you start adding like pool jets and LED lights 
and uh, fire bowls on the corners. If you start adding accessories, now you're adding three, five, seven, ten thousand dollars to that pool cost. So you just have to figure out what you want in your pool and how big you want it to be. Fun. I get. So we're obviously chatting about fall, uh, fall. We're talking about landscaping projects in general today, but heavily focusing on um, what you should be doing this fall, whether you're tackling a landscaping project or thinking about a landscaping project. But before we kind of get into all the details, Karen, do you want to share a little bit about who you are and people may recognize you from other things that you've done and um, who Southview is? I think Southview is a pretty big name, but just in case there are people watching or listening that don't know who Southview is, maybe give a little background on what you guys do. Well, Southview Design is, has been around since 1978. And we've grown uh, quite a bit over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and we have about 150 to 200 employees, depending on the time of the year. So we have two offices, one's in New Hope and one's in Mendota Heights. And we do uh, commercial maintenance and we do residential design build. So we have eight or nine designers on staff that work with uh, clients and we do 450 to 500 projects a year Wow! for myself. And uh, by the way, I should say all sizes, whether it's a $5,000 project or a $150 or $200,000 project, we work, we work the range. Uh, for myself, uh, yes, back in the day, I, I'm still a meteorologist, but I was a meteorologist on air, broadcast meteorologist for WCCO radio and WCCO TV. And during the 1980s, you might remember seeing me on KFTP TV. So that's my background in, in Minnesota. So I've been here. I've been in Minnesota now 38 years. And you love it so much more than Florida, right? I do. Actually, <laughs> I will never move back there. I still have family there and I go visit, but that's a place. Okay, I'll visit, but I do not want to live there. I couldn't handle the humidity and the bugs. That's fair. Yeah. Well, well, I wanted to say one thing before we get into fall. Some of the trends that we've been seeing because of the virus, things have changed quite a bit. Um, you know, people are staying home because they haven't been able to travel. Uh, so they want to make their backyard more livable, usable. And as a result, we're getting a lot more outdoor living spaces. Uh, in living rooms, dining rooms, outdoor kitchens. Uh, people, yes, want to put in pools, and we've already had that conversation, but they're also looking at fire and fireplaces. So, so some of the trends that have been taking place on uh, for landscaping, uh, hardscape patterns, those interior style patterns, floor patterns uh, are moving to the outside. So you have your herringbone and basket weave and Versailles patterns. Uh, people want simple designs. They, they don't want a lot of maintenance. There's no such thing as no maintenance. Low maintenance is probably the best we can do. And that's with plant material as well as the kind of materials you would put in a patio or a pool. Uh, shades of blue, of course, the color of the year is a blue. But you could do all shades of blue in your backyard, both in the flowers as well as some of the pools that we've seen. There's a gorgeous, intimate backyard patio that's the whole backyard by the way this is and gorgeous this if you're if you're watching live or you're or you're checking this out on the replay we uh you're if you're listening to the podcast go watch it on facebook because we have the visuals 
on the screen. And there's some really cool projects you can do, whether you have a big yard or a small yard. But that probably speaks to what you're talking about with the changes in COVID landscaping. Exactly. People want a place to be safe, but they want to be outside and, um, and, and maybe even invite family members over. And if they have a large enough yard, we can create a space where people can safely distance. But this, this one particular picture here, this was a design that was inspired by New Orleans French Quarter. In fact, that lamp that's hanging on the front of the fireplace uh, came from uh, a designer in New Orleans. Uh, these homeowners make the trip every year. Uh, they love the food, they love the music, and but they have family here. So they just transported a little bit of, of the French Quarter to their backyard. So, and they have no lawn in the backyard. So that's why you have a paper patio and you have brick fireplace and they, the, the, you can see the evergreens, the, uh, the junipers on the back there are lit. So it's a very intimate setting, um, but comfortable that, that, that fireplace heats that whole area. And that's a gas lantern. Yes, it is. <laughs> that is so cool. Well, it's, it looks like you're bringing, um, you know, it's, it's cutting down on maintenance time, maximizing the space, but also bringing in some green space too, which is that, is that low maintenance kind of the theme of the year? It is. It has been. Uh, I would have to say, you know, here's a, a, the picture that sort of highlights, you know, if you're going to be uh, sprucing up your home, looking for a little bit of curb appeal, you might want to think about splashes of color. Don't make it all evergreens. Don't make it all one color or all one season. Uh, be, achieve some sort of a balance. So you have flowers that will bloom in the spring and then summer flowers. And then the, the trees will be blooming and changing color in the fall. So you want all seasons to be represented in your yard if you're going to have maximum curb appeal. That's interesting. You know, I just, just throw a little real estate in thing in there. Um, Andy, what do you think as far as value? I mean, the, the you know, take it away the yard and turn it into a French Quarter courtyard. I know what my opinion is on it and what that would do to the value, um, you know, for most people. What do you think? I, I, I absolutely love it. I think that there's a, uh, a draw to that house that extends your usability of the property into the yard area. So even when you have a limited, um, you know, landscape or background or whatever, you know, area to enjoy yourself, this is private. It uh, allows you to go out there and relax. You feel safe, like you said. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see how, I mean, unless you spent, you know, 200 grand on your little, you know, South Minneapolis backyard, I mean, which I, I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen some of the work you guys have done. Uh, you, you could, um, you know, you guys have handled projects much bigger than that. Oh, we uh, have. that's true. And I will say about this backyard, um, the, the theme, uh, the French quarter starts in the front yard with bluestone and uh, the gas lanterns and the wrought iron fencing. And then as the as it travel around the side yard, it goes from bluestone to pavers, which is typical in a, in a New Orleans backyard. And they're at the other end, on the other side of this picture, if you, it, uh, behind me, if you're, as you're looking at the fireplace, there's a water feature. So there's also New Orleans inspired. So it, it encompasses the entire house, that theme. And it doesn't fight with the architecture, which is what, you know, you don't want a Victorian home and a Japanese garden. That will detract from right. the value of the house. 
Yeah. yeah I, I think that, yeah, I was just going to say, Chris, to kind of finish that. Let's say you did uh, invest a little more than the average person does, mm-hmm. but you're going to use it and you're going to live there for a while. Mm-hmm. Great investment. I mean, and that's the whole idea of it. Don't, I, I always say this in real estate too. You know, if you go out there and you spend a bunch of money on your landscaping and then you go to sell the house, it, it it's not as, I don't know, you're not getting your money's worth because you're not getting to enjoy it. Versus if you do it five, 10 years in advance and live there and enjoy it and love it, you, you may never move, you know? Well, and one thing about landscaping, you can remodel the interior of the house. And if you're living there 10 or 15 years, somebody will walk in and say, well, this is a little dated. The kitchen appliances need to be replaced. The tile in the bathroom needs to be replaced. But the ba- basically, landscaping, just as it ages, it gets better because people are looking for mature plants. They're looking for a weed-free lawn and edging that's not heaved in the middle of winter. So if they see that the landscape has been well-maintained, has matured properly, uh, and it and accentuates the house, then they, they get a little bit more hopeful about what they might find on the inside. I'll tell sure. you, what my opinion is, is that a, a backyard like that could totally flip someone into exactly what Karen just said, was that it, it can overshadow that house and lead you into saying, I have to have that backyard. I have to have it. It's awesome. And then it might help you with the inside of the house. And that's, it's rare that you say that. I mean, it's rare that I would say that with landscape because usually really nice landscape means maintenance for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, sure. but when you do it like that, I just think that's, I mean, what a great use of space. And it looks like it was, um, you know, brought down and the, the, the yard is a little higher. I mean, it looks, that one looks really neat. Can I have that back on the screen? Yeah, I can see, I'm working on getting it back up there. I can, see, I can see Chris doing an open house serving jambalaya, wearing a big shrimp hat. <laughs> I, would have well, but this, I, I also this think lettuce. that this this isn't so French quartery that you you if you weren't a New Orleans fan you wouldn't buy the house. It's not overdone, right? And and people would see the gas lantern and and because it's a gas fireplace and just think, oh, well, that's cool. So you know you don't if you don't know anything about New Orleans and you've never been there, uh, this would be a, a, a just an intimate setting where where you could go out there and. You can go out there in your skivvies for crying out loud, and and <laughs> there. I agree. But one of the things about landscaping is you don't want to overpower the house. You don't want the landscape to be so big that, uh, and this is this is a small backyard uh, to the left on the left side of the picture. There, that's actually a dry creek bed because they had a, a, a drainage problem and couldn't use their backyard. So we gave them usable space in this particular case. But I, I hate to see the $1 million and $2 million homes that have nothing but a few shrubs around the foundation and a small patio in the backyard that's uh, undersized landscaping and, and practically unusable. And it just detracts from the home. You need to set aside if you're going to budget landscaping and you want to change it or you want to add to new construction, you need to budget at least 5 to 10% of the value of the home in order to get the kind of landscape you need to, to add value to that house. Great. Do you guys, do you guys see that a lot where these multi-million dollar properties have landscaping that just doesn't complement the home? And is that one of your recommendations if someone's thinking about selling is to upgrade the landscaping? 
I think, you know, a lot of them, I mean, when you're building, there's requirements that you have to now. Um, so you don't run into that, but you, you start seeing, I mean, there's a lot of houses in that four or $500,000 range that try to get the biggest house they possibly could. There's no deck and there's, you know, a little patch of rock around the place. You know? And 10 years later, there's still no deck and the rock patch has weeds. Mm-hmm. You know, and you guys, in all fairness, because I'm the new construction guy that does that. Um, the uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding you a little bit. Kind of not, but not really. The uh, what happens is at the end of a build project, when you've already spent six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars building your house, million dollars, whatever it might be, it it comes down to where the very end people have to make decisions. So should I install the hardwood floors now, which I can, or do I want to do my landscaping? And and the hardest thing ever is that seasonally, what happens too is at the time of the year. So like right now, you order your house, you're not going to have a new house ready until March. So you're going to be closing on that house without the landscaping done. A lot of times they they will not allow you to escrow for it. So what I'm saying is you have to write out a check. And when people have to write out checks for decks and landscaping, a lot of times it's it's more of an investment than they realize. So they go on the cheap just to get something in or to meet the requirements. And yes, the house does suffer. And I I, I always tell people, you know, the um, you fudge your numbers by a hundred grand. And when you're building in that price range, half million dollar plus house, because then you can have the extras for the drapes, the landscaping, the concrete driveway, putting on that deck so that you can move in and instantly enjoy the entire property. Because I'll tell you, if every time you want to go out and do something on the grill and you open up the door and you look down eight feet, you know, and you're like, there's no deck there, you're, you're going to get real tired of living there real fast. And it, no matter how fancy it is. So I've, you guys are right. I've had that conversation with builders saying you have to think about even if it's you're building in the winter and you need to put something in in the spring, please, uh, you know, give the homeowner enough budget so that they can they can put in the kind of landscape that that accentuates the house and the architecture of the house so that they're proud of it instead of having to settle. There's nothing worse than having to settle because you've overspent someplace else. So having the conversation up front with the expectation that they're going to have to do this in the spring and just get them ready uh, for the spring design that's coming, uh, you know, it's probably the best way to handle it because we end up, you know, going to clients' houses and they said that, that this concrete patio just isn't enough for our large family and we need to change things. And this is two years after they've been in a new home, which they really shouldn't have to do. Uh, you know, that's that's something that they could plan for later. And we do work in phases. That's another thing that builders sometimes don't know about is that, okay, we can plan a $50,000 landscape safe, for instance, but we don't have to do all of it at once. And it gives, if we do it in phases, then the homeowner knows that, okay, the next phase is going to cost X amount of dollars. And then the next phase after that, I've worked with clients and they, they're in their fourth or fifth phase. And sometimes they get a chance over winter to say, you know, I was thinking about adding a sound system or, um, at, you know, with, now it's the, the big thing is one of the trends is smart landscapes where you can turn on the lights both inside and outside the house or the, the fire up the gas fireplace or drop down a, a movie screen so that you can have a movie outside. So And you can do all that from your phone or your iPad or whatever you happen to have. And, and so it's smart landscapes like that, that create, and a sound system, same thing, uh, you know, on your iPad. Uh, so it's not just firing up the air conditioning or the heater if you're headed to the north, uh, it, you know, and you're, it's a cool time of the season. 
uh, and you want to heat up the house before you get there. Oh, the smart landscapes are, are and smart irrigation too. Um, all that's starting to take over and, and some of the bigger trends that are coming down the pike. So I think what this comes back to is what we talk about a lot on the show. And it's that if you're going to make a big investment for anything in your home, it's first and foremost for your enjoyment. You're, you're probably not going to make a huge investment in surround sound or movie the- screens outside or things like that if you're just planning to sell in the next six months. But it's so that you and your family can really enjoy your space. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like Chris putting all the mirrors in his house. <laughs> Karen, don't don't fall for this, Karen. Don't fall (laughs) for it. Here's some tips. You know, um, do a little bit of research about the architectural style of your home and and then put something of a design to to match it. It doesn't have to be full-on design, but just say, have a plan. Literally, don't clutter up the yard with statues and bird baths and bird feeders and make it clean. Uh, You know, have a good mix of flowers flowers and shrubs. And, you know, don't make it all one style or all one cutting garden or um, all evergreens and have plants for all seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. And and you can brag on that when you go to sell the house saying, you know, even if it's in the dead of winter, you can say, here's a garden for spring. This is what I have for summer. And you can you can, you know, achieve that balance and, and sort of attract the buyer that way. Trees. I can't stress how important this is. Plant the biggest trees you can. Uh, not the sticks that you sometimes see in developments. Uh, plant as big a tree as you can and, and um, because it'll provide you shade in the summer and, uh, and you know, fall color and uh, trees are an important part of the landscape. And uh, keep the lawn crisp, weed free and the edge, don't let the weeds grow or the grass grow up, up onto the hardscapes. Keep it edged, nice, clean, crisp. Again, going back to the clean lines that people are looking for. So those are the tips that you can do right now if you're planning on selling your home. I have a I have something that I've been kind of um, I don't know grappling with on on certain houses and it's getting kind of more apparent to me as I go in and I identify like what they need to do prior mm-hmm. to getting the house ready. And one of my things is is plantings along the house. I just I, I'm I'm getting to a point where I'm like just take it all out. And just push it away, you know, do something, you know, you got to have something along the house, but do more beds and things that like get away from that house. It just looks cleaner and better to me. Right. And yeah, you shouldn't be planting right up against the house. You should be a couple of feet away from the house um, and be careful about planting trees too close to the foundation because the root system will go right into the foundation. So that's why it's always a, a good idea to invest in getting a designer to come to your house and giving you a consultation and maybe even putting together a little design plan that you can work in phases so that you can get toward that day where you want to put your house on the market. Uh, and and keep the beds, plant beds, weed free. And and I, I, I'm a proponent of no rock around the plants, around the foundation. They don't stop weeds. You need mulch. And you don't need fabric underneath that mulch in the plant beds. If you plant them or if you put a thick enough bed of mulch and keep turning it, you know, get the rake out and just turn it a little bit, aerate it a little bit, uh, it, it will keep the weeds out. Or any seeds that do drop in, they're easy to pull out and they don't take root. So you just, you just, and the plants are healthier because as the mulch decomposes, it adds nutrients to the soil. 
So those plants around your foundation suddenly have natural nutrients that are going into the soil to feed them and you don't have to worry about adding plant food. So there's there's a method to the madness and I'm I'm all about hardwood mulch. So, you know, Karen, you were asking or you made a comment earlier about um, the typical investment that's recommended of five to 10% of the value of the house. You know, um, when you get into some of those projects, what about the customer that doesn't quite have that budget and they want to roll it out in phases? So, you know, like we just kind of talked about new construction where not every, everybody spends most of their money on the house and then they don't have that huge budget. Where would you recommend a customer like that start and or can they make a bigger plan and phase it or what do you suggest? Oh, always have an overall plan. Even if you don't do it all right away, always, always put everything on paper so that you can figure out where you want to start. In other words, if it's important to have a patio in the backyard or a deck, then let's figure out how we can how we can do that. Um, and we're all about working with people's budgets here at Southview. So if you have a budget, we can do an overall plan and then figure out how much of your budget we can put into that landscape plan. Um, decks, of course, you want to put a deck on there because you need your outdoor space. It, it just opens when you have sliding glass doors and you could open those doors or accordion doors and you could open those doors to a deck and add to your living space immediately. That's attractive to buyers. Uh, you know, a, a patio, for instance, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a, a paver patio. Maybe you want to put in a, a combination of concrete and pavers. Um, make it something unique to the house, um, and you don't. And fire cables. Uh, you know, you want a little bit of fire. Okay, you don't have to put a fireplace or an in-ground fire pit. Uh, you can fire tables can cost anywhere from two hundred to six hundred dollars. So there's affordable things that you can do, and we're and there are kits for pergolas. There are kits for fireplaces that cost less than the than if you were to get a custom fireplace, for instance, which could run you you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So don't have to worry about a custom. You can get a kit and, and we can put that kit together. So uh, we have designers here that have used those kits uh, successfully and in giving, in fact, one of the pictures that I sent has a white pergola on the backside of the house with a fireplace. Um, and it's an absolutely gorgeous, it's an award winner for Southview Design, but it, it provides an outdoor living space with a pergola and it makes the whole space more intimate. And if if you look, if you were sitting in that outdoor space, you would be looking out on on fields. Well, there's a pergola right there. Dining space, the hot tub is right there. The fire table, and that's propane. That's a propane tank in, in that fire table, and the swimming pool is right there. So everything close in, and you could see uh, with the basketball hoop on the on the pool there. They have kids. And uh, and one of the things they did was they opened up uh, on to the left of the picture there. There's a bar and the windows open up so that there's a bar inside and there's a bar outside so that that if they were to have a party, they could open it up so that the, the game room on the inside leads to a dining space, a fire table. It just expands the the uh, entertainment space. It's beautiful. So let's just, can if you could give like a range of what something like this, I mean, obviously there's so much involved from fencing to the pool to the furniture and all that, but what's well, the first you could invest? Yeah, well, okay. So this this was, you know, closer to like eighty ninety thousand um, dollars In fact, that, that doesn't include the pool. 
But what we had to do here that's a little deceiving is this house dropped or this yard from the back door to the outer back edge of the yard dropped eight feet. So we had to put in a boulder wall and level everything out so that we could actually put that pool in. So that added to the expense. So a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, I would say, you know, like 125, 130,000. It's beautiful. That's a, I was I was pretty close. I was thinking 140 in my head. Yeah. But I, you know, I they have, no, it's so usable. You could use yeah. this for 20 years. Easy. Easy. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, what I look at too, guys, is you look at some of those um, where they've integrated, like think something as simple as having a, like that planter bed right in the middle there, where it's actually integrated in, there's steps all around it. It's stamped concrete. There's electric in that planter. I mean, all those little things you don't think about that add those little touches that all of a sudden you have this amazing environment. Those are the little things that the details that we a lot of times will forget about. Or you well, kind of look how they have a matching, uh, what do you, you want to call it, a, a bollard or whatever on the right side, where yep. a matching planter bed and yep. having the lights on there as well. And just carrying that theme all the way over to the hot tub. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that's a fantastic use of, of space. I, I, I would love that. Yes. And, you know, it, of course, it adds to point of interest with respect to a landscape. You're, uh, if you're looking at the uh, lights underneath the cap on the post that's to the, to the right or the, the lights just around the hot tub, you're looking at texture. So it, it would be very bland if those lights weren't there. It just adds to the texture, the point of interest, besides just looking at a hot tub and a fireplace and a pool. So now you're looking at a splash of color and uh, you have the warmth of the lights. And in fact, they put uh, those Edison light bulbs at the top of the pergola uh, yep. over the dining space. And so that just pulls people from inside to out. You want to be out in that space. That's the point. I think what's interesting on this is when, when we talk about phases and, and phases are also people's life phases and where they're at. And I could see someone, you know, with the young kids just getting this pool and then later on, adding this whole other part with the pergola and the hot tub, because that to me becomes now the pool becomes more of a, a look or a decoration than like a swimming thing. So I think, uh, you know, so back to your point of getting the full plan right from the beginning, mm -hmm. this is a great example of phasing it in. Hey, we've got the pool and then here's what we can eventually add in. Right. Exactly. So by and we don't even have to do the lighting right away. I mean, if you run the the, the underground lighting, uh, the pipes, you know, the PVC, and run that wire so that it's ready to go, you don't have to buy the fixtures. You can just put it in the ground now so that you don't have to dig anything up later to put it back to put it in because oh maybe we maybe we forgot or it was in a different phase. No, there's a step by step process to the phases so that you don't have to redo anything. So so Karen, let's say we replace the diving board. And we want to put in a nice little uh, water feature mm -hmm. with a jumping platform or something for the kids, you mm -hmm. know, or something like that. Well, of course, I'm thinking of my backyard right now. Um, what, would we, <laughs> what would we do with that? Like it into a great, yeah, well, so if you're looking to put a waterfall on the back side of that, we would probably have to take out a section of the concrete that's uh, just to the right of the diving board. And uh, you could actually build up 
the water feature so that it tumbles down into the pool. I'm assuming that's what you were referring to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the one thing that I would, I, I think this is perfect. I'd add one little water feature over in the, but then now I'm up to 200 grand probably with my budget, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know what, that's, that's, that's just, I hate to say it, but that's what things cost nowadays. Well, and you know, that, that 30 to $70,000 range that I gave you for pool um, on the, on the higher end, I guess it depends on the size of the pool, but it also depends on the pool deck. Some people are satisfied with uh, stamping colored concrete like this. Other people, they have to have natural stone, travertine, expensive stone, bluestone uh, around the pool or the pool edge, which adds to the cost. So that's one of the things about working in phases and having an overall plan is if it doesn't fit in your budget, then let's think about another material that we can use that will fit in your budget. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that photo. Yeah, this is beautiful. And it kind of comes down to how are you going to use it and, and what level of investment do you want to make? And that all plays into the cost kind of plays into the quality sometimes. Yeah. Oh, very much so. You get what you pay for. Clearly. Karen, I know you have a call in five, four minutes. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> We've kept you for quite a while and we so appreciate you jumping on and sharing your, your knowledge and insight about what's going on in landscaping and what you can do to start preparing your house for um, a fall or a spring sale. And we will share your contact information should anyone have questions about these photos that we've shared or the information that you shared Absolutely. Um, yes. on the comments of the, of the live show and then also in the podcast version, the podcast notes. Perfect. Thank you, Thank you so Karen. much. This is this is beautiful work. It's it's exciting for us to see something different than what we normally talk about. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. All right. Oh boy. How do you follow up that? I mean, that's like the showstopper right there. Yeah. I had uh, one of my uh, my good friends and a client of mine, uh, Casey Redland, was so excited. She's a landscape architect at Doran. And or Duran or whatever you want to call it. Oh, she's commenting on the episode. She's she's yeah, leaving comments she, on this. So Casey, thank you for commenting and watching. We appreciate you. Yeah, so, want to talk about super talented, and she's a, a big advocate for the industry, very involved. And so some of this stuff we were talking about today, I know she and I were when she built her house. Uh, it was last summer. Um, we were talking about some of the smart landscaping and retaining walls and all. I mean, it's it's just such a fun project. And I just wish I had her resources, you know. So oh, yeah. I'm yeah. unfortunate. I'm I'm, I'm going to have to be the the consumer that comes in and pays retail. So <laughs> nothing wrong with that, right? No, I mean it's a very usable add-on to your to your backyard, especially as we're talking about what do you do now that you're staying home? Will you make your backyard usable for summer and winter? That hot tub would be great in the middle of winter. Well, maybe not in January. Yeah. Well, that's the best time for a hot tub, right? January. Love it. Yeah. Do you have I like how the hot tub was built in too, though. We've had hot tubs before. We're up on the, we have a stamp paver patio around a koi pond and we had our, we thought we were so smart and put our hot tub up on top. And I'll tell you what, the, the little critters come winter, they look for a place to nest and we're, and we had a brand new cow spa. They got up in there and they started eating wires of all the stupid things to eat. You know, and they eat these wires, all of a sudden it zaps the, the system shuts off like it's supposed to. 
and then it drains. And then you're like, you crack pipes and oh my gosh, we had nothing but problems. So I'd, I'd love to see us get that, um, something like that where it's buried into the ground where they can't get at it. I had, I, I had a hot tub too until it started making some different noises that my wife heard in the middle of February. So she unplugged it. And I'm like, that kind of ruins it. So hopefully she's listening. She, I, I try to say this all the time. It was like a month old. Yeah. Oh but my God. You know, Hey Chris, you, uh, you weren't maintaining it. So yeah, I know it's my fault. There's 12 grand. Bye-bye. I went, yeah. I went to go to, I did go get it to go get a grill and came back with a hot tub, but we had a party that the next day. So I'm like, it'd be good to have a hot tub. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask Chris, just what's that? walk out and buy a hot tub. I wish we would have asked. Yeah. I wish we would have asked Karen um, what the cost of doing a plan is, you know, of, of a yard. Oh, I can email her and we yeah. can share that after, after the show, I can shoot her an email and ask her what the cost is and, and what the, the steps are timeline is for that. Um, yeah, if your friend is still listening too, I've always heard like against a house that you want rock, you don't want mulch. Um, and Karen said, no, you want to put mulch along with the, those plants. But um, I always heard that the created more moisture against the house, but. Casey's on. Maybe she can answer. Um, maybe she yeah. can shoot us an Rock answer. Rock versus mulch against the house. So, well, um, you know, actually, back in the day, you guys, that that was done by the the basement guys. It wasn't for landscaping design. They would pitch the the dirt away from your house, put poly on it, and cover it with rocks so the poly wouldn't blow away. So the when your water runs off your house, it has somewhere to go instead of into your foundation. Right. It was sense. it was designed for function, not for design originally. And now we've adapted into our, I need rock around my whole house. But I'll tell you what, one of the things that I really would like to someday get into with the developers is like, we've got a couple of developers right now in developments where we want three trees. No problem. I, I love trees. But then they'll say something silly, like we want to have rock around your whole foundation and 25 plantings. And I'm like, what, what? I mean, come on. You know, it's, it's a, um, I think you should have more, you know, I don't know. So then what the, whatever it does is they go out there and they plant the 25 little cheap shrubs from the parking lot nursery supply guy, you know, where they're selling them over hot, you know, three for $10 and they put them in the ground and then they, you know, die out and the people don't care, you know? So it's like defeats the purpose anyway. I think that there should be a, um, a bigger, I don't know, something, a bigger something better. Plan. Well, and also, also if you have a specific number instead of a budget, sometimes that makes everybody's front landscaping look exactly the same and you can get a little more variety when you give it a budget instead of giving it a specific number of plantings and, yeah. and landscape on houses is very important to the development and yeah. how it shows and how it looks and so um i've got a development that i've got the lots for sales and territory and there is a you have to you have to not only your plan but a landscaping plan that gets sent in before you can even start building and uh because i mean it's important and they're, you know, not five to 10% of the house, but people are spending at least 10 grand um, on landscaping. And Andy, you know, and I know, I mean, people are trying to get by with, you know, Hey, get the sod and, you know, put some rocks around it and try to get away with five grand. So. Yeah. And said either rock or wood mulch will work. Just keep the plants away from touching the house for airflow. Yep. And you, you know what, you know, <laughs> What I, I always deal with people with young kids and, and they'll out, they'll take the rock out of the scenario right away. Cause they're like, Oh, my kids will just throw the rocks through the windows. 
And I'm like, I, you would not believe how many times I hear that. Or my boys will throw the rocks out in the street. And, and it's, it's funny to me how many people are like concerned that the materials would be thrown. Yeah. That, that, that would be my concern. Um, Char would use that to protect herself amongst the boys. Uh, she, yeah, she, well, no, she would use it to attack her brothers because she's, she's no shrinking violet. Yeah. Little Charlotte, uh, is about the cutest kid in the world. And, uh, <laughs> we, I got the chance to, to know her, not only meet her, but hang out with her when we were up in Brainerd a couple of weeks ago. And she kept walking over real de- delicately wanting to drive the pond to, which I have a picture. You guys talk, I'll, I'll pull up a picture for you. Um, <laughs> She's so awesome. I kept it on my phone because it's so sweet. She had so much fun on that trip. And um, she really loves you. And she really loves Nathaniel Pettis. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite pictures from the trip. I don't know how that's not. Well, there you go. Maybe I'll hold it back a little bit. Anyway, that was us driving the pontoon together. (laughs) Um, so, okay. So two things before we jump into questions, guys, one, um, we have a winner from last week's giveaway. It's our pal, Andrew made, uh, several comments and likes on our, our content last week and he won our giveaway. So Andrew, drop your email in the comment section or email me Courtney at amplifyup.com to claim your prize. Um, you will get a choice of having your prize shipped immediately or waiting because I just ordered very special real estate radio hour cookies with the guy's faces on them. And we're just waiting for them to arrive. So you can, you can choose to have your prize shipped to you now, or you can wait for that special addition to your prize pack. Am I in Valhalla? Is this, it's perfect here. Andy cookies. <laughs> Oh God! I suppose the cookies are just faces <laughs> to get your hair on there. I mean, this is these are monster cookies. So a logo. Look at all that hair. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's just got big old hairs going up. <laughs> That's the frosting. Uh, <laughs> hey, at least your frosting's not white like mine's gonna be. But yeah, hey. that's true. I still got a little color left. Yeah. <laughs> but we digress. Uh, number two. Anything going on in the real estate world that people need to know about this week? Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's no, that? there's all kinds of stuff going on. Rates are still fantastic. You know, like with the, when I reference things like, you know, in, money's on sale. I mean, just look at the rates, run payments on it, go online and get a digital calculator and run your own payments on your own house and look at how cheap they are. It's unbelievable. And What's interesting is I'm still seeing a lot of demand with houses, um, all price ranges. We're seeing multiple offers. We're even seeing some of the houses that were struggling to sell earlier in the year getting offers. Um, so that's all great. And then, you know, when people are moving, um, things are happening and everybody's, can, you know, confidence will come back and, and then that'll just uptick the whole economy. And I, I think it, a lot of it's going to be triggered from housing. I really do. How about uh, how about lumber prices though, Andy? Those have shot. Oh my up. god! Oh my gosh! They're so high. Yeah, your average two story, let's say a three thousand square foot two story, my average lumber bill was probably twenty five thousand. You know, normally just for all the sticks to be delivered. Now it's about forty six thousand. It's almost doubled. It's unbelievable. And 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 then how does that handle? 
how, how was that handled? Is, I mean, were those prices locked in ahead of time or? Uh, well, some, like, some they were. I, mean, I know that we saw this all started back in June and keeps trending up and up and up. We were hoping it would slow down a little bit and then, you know, to actually have where the pricing gets back down to normal, but it, it, it isn't. And so some of our projects were holding off on ordering the lumber until the last second. Um, we've talked to some of our customers and said, hey, you know, this is a situation we're in. What do we want to do? Um, and, and some people are very reasonable and they'll say, you know what? Hey, we're under contract. We're cool. Why don't we wait another two weeks, see what happens? But what if lumber goes up again? You know, so that's kind of the situation we're in. So on, on the projects that all the builders have under contract, those people don't have to worry because that's a that's a, an enforceable legal contract. Um, if the builders were smart, they would have ordered their lumber early. Um when they'd have the orders come in, but I don't know, man, I tell you, we just, we, I've seen across the board, builders raise their prices last week, anywhere from 15, probably to 25,000 a house straight across the board. So, and that, that's, that's, uh, there was also some electrical, um, new electrical laws too that went into play that for additional safety um, protocols that were put into play that um, added a little bit to that bill too, but we better get to those questions. Yeah. So, um, so Greg submitted a question while we were talking about landscaping that I um, was holding for our question series. And of course, with the new live system on Facebook, I can't see all of the questions that have been asked during the show. I can only see the last four or five, but I know I what the question was. It's just I not can see it. Word. You can. I got it right here. It says, "Is it harder to sell a house with honey oak doors and cabinets?" Question. Is that the one you're thinking of? Yep. Correct. It's not harder, but it's just, uh, it, it definitely is uh, less, less value. But again, it depends. I mean, what price point? I mean, if it's under 300000 it doesn't matter what you really have. Um, it's going to sell. But, you know, if you have the honey oak and you're selling a $600,000 house, that's going to hurt you. You know, what's interesting though, is I've seen some people integrate uh, other colors into the house where they'll, you know, do uh, white doors or they'll do, you know, they'll paint the island and, and they redo the doors and they reskin the cabinets. And, and then all of a sudden you have like the, the trim, but it's like if you have the Princeton trim, which is a smaller, you know, three inch um, style, you know, trim, that's very normal in entry level housing. And so a lot of times a good um, fresh coat of enamel and I see it all the time. People whiten it up and then they swap out the doors for new doors. They update the hardware and bada bing, bada boom, you have a house that everybody wants. Yeah. But Andy, even with, uh, if you did have that and everything was honey oak doors and cabinets, even if you just replaced the, the slabs on the doors and made those white, it would make it a big difference, even if you kept yeah. all the same. So it's a splash of color that you've got to get in and just not so much honey oak everywhere. So, so this is the, the a great way to think about it. What is the focal point of the house when you walk in? Is it, holy crap, there's a lot of oak in here? Or is it the, wow, look at the updated, the doors and the granite countertops and the new, you know, charcoal uh, appliances, you know, the state, the- Those charcoal thing. appliances are so pretty, by the oh, way. Oh man, I love them. They're so cool. Well, oh, and by the way, try to find an appliance right now that's in stock. Good luck. Everything's out of stock. Even even if you're looking for kids' clothes for back to school, there's a lot of stuff that just there's not a lot out there. Mm, wow. Supply chains, supply chains must not be so hot right now. 
we're uh, fully stocked with new baseball hats. So if anybody needs one of those for back to school, let me, let me see the back of it. Um, it says Remax rocks. <laughs> it's compliant. I'm pretty sure it is compliant. And uh, nice hat they for them. are really high quality hats. Rick wears his all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing new, new? Are you guys doing new gear going into the fall for your teams? Uh, yeah, you know we did last year. We did a bunch of. Uh, we've got a local supplier that everybody, you know, they do all these Nike golf shirts, and then we do pullovers that are kind of nice. And then we had a vendor that came to us and had some really cool, you know, like name brand stuff that you know North Face and uh, Pat yeah. Doni, all, all that cool stuff. It's just a matter of do you want to have one shirt or do you want to have three. Yeah, I gotta order some for Rick to do that. No gear for me. Normal no, clothes here. No Rooney Home Experts. That's because you you have all of your high end luxury suits that you wear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you put an Andy on my those, uh, swim trunks a couple years ago. The the little ones <laughs> with your logo on them. Just always taking it to the next level, Andrew. What? I didn't design them. He did. Is there questions? So I was talking to, um, one of our friends and clients yesterday, and he had a couple of questions to ask you guys that I threw in here. Um, I'm building a home that will be complete in March or April. The market is strong right now. Should I put my house on the market this fall? I I always say we, we know what it is now. We don't know what it will be then. And, uh, if, if yours fits in that, um, you know, that, that market is doing great. Um, it's, it's worthwhile, but I'll tell you what, you got to find somewhere to live. And the other thing is with new construction, it, it might say it's done the end of February, but it might not be till the end of March because a lot depends on weather. And so you, you're just kind of up in arms. And sometimes, you know, that's more of a pain in the butt than taking 10,000 less. So right. you just got to, how it is for you as well, a family, kids. Well, Chris, school, that, that's a good point because I, I don't think it's, I think it is ten thousand dollars to to move twice. It, I mean, by the time you literally get out of your house to get the high ticket price, let's you know you sell for four hundred, and and now you're you have to move, so you spend a couple thousand on moving, and you have storage, and then you find a rental, and because it's a short term rental, they charge you more. And I don't know if you're saving any money, like you said, Chris. I think that's a great great piece of advice. Um, sometimes just hold on a little longer. If the builder will let you, you know, if you're non-contingent um, yeah. or if you're contingent. And then, you know, the spring market, remember, the spring market starts in February. So February, March, April, maybe you tell the builder, hey, let's time it for that April closing window. And, you know, take your time, get the house done right. We'll list in February. And that gives us two months to get it sold. And a market that's this hot, even if, you know, doesn't even matter what's going to happen this fall. Markets don't cool off that fast. They cool off slowly. And so, you know, even if things do slow down into next year, it, it I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. You'll still be fine. Here's the other thing. Um, and I just ran into this. If you're in a really hot area in a demand spot, you know, are, will a buyer trade off, hey, for six months, I'll wait six months to get into this house that I want to live in. They're trying to take advantage of the rates. So it's a buy and then rent back. I mean, my own personal house in Minnetonka, um, we uh, were in a real hot area. They, everyone found out that we were going to uh, sell after my daughter graduated from uh, high school, um, online high school, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, they came in, bought my house, and they're letting me stay there till June. 
And That's what I was going to ask you is yeah. how common is it to rent your house back from the people that buy it? Yeah. Depends what kind of house you have. And again, if a buyer can look at it and think about it, say, hey, I'm buying this for the long term. I can wait six months and maybe they don't need to sell their house to be able to purchase yours. And, you know, and so they'll just stay in their house and then they know there's a, they'll get their financing done. They'll get rent payments or whatever and then sell theirs when they want to sell it. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, that's when you're in a great, a great position. Um, and, and it can happen. Depends just, you know, what area you're in and then take advantage of the market right now. So it can happen. Not everyone. Some people are moving in and say, no, I got to be in. I got to be oh, in. Sure. Oh, okay, it's sure. not going to work for you. But with the market, it probably is more like you might be able to do something like that than if it's a, and then if it's a buyer's market. Yeah. Um, in election years, the election typically has an impact on home sales, but this is a less than a, this is less than a typical year. How do you think the election will impact the market in the upcoming months? I, I don't. I think it might have some effect after the election, but I don't think. Uh, I don't think rising to the election, I don't think we have. I mean, everything leading up to it, I mean, really, the election, I think, comes second to inventory and lower interest rates. I mean, people are buying. It's just like, you know, everything's on a shortage, you know, and they're doing it. And that's the stuff I think the slowdown is going to be coming later, you know, right. because we're not going to have anything, you know. We don't even have... Well, and I, I agree, Chris. And I, think, and I think if you're buying or selling your house based on an election... You're probably not a good candidate to buy or sell a house anyway. I mean, it it you know it's not the right reason to buy or sell a house. You housing right now, um, people are moving because they again we talked about this earlier in the year. They they've realized that based on the new world we live in, they have new housing requirements. They they maybe like we talked earlier with Karen, they may want to have that outdoor space now that they never had before. So you're seeing a lot of people renovating and staying put. Um, so it's like the inventory is tight. I think you see a lot of the empty nesters where they're they're looking at, oh, wow, I could get a lot for my existing house. And then I go to downsize and they spend just as much to downsize. And they're like, why would I move from 4,000 square feet down to 1,800 square feet for the same price? And, and so I think a lot of people are going to stay put there too, which puts a lot of pressure on a new construction. So new construction, I think you'll see that going solid for the next couple of years um, again, but it's going to be the, the, the only thing they can build that makes sense is bigger homes. And we talk about affordability. That's where the, a lot of the demand is, is, but how do you do it other than building apartments? Um, because the, you know, you look at split entries right now, I just bid one out in Blaine for a couple uh, on the cheapest lot that I could find. I was at $425,000 for a split entry. You know, I mean, it, it's a nice house, but it's like, you know, you just look at that and you go, man, when I was a kid, the executive homes were 300 grand, you know? So now you go from 425 to up to 475. And now I can give you a big traditional two-story with four bedrooms and a loft. So, you know, and then the people go up to 475. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's just a, where do you stop? Good advice as usual. Uh, question three. It I'm seems not, like I'm Seems like there is a lull in the market and people are shying away from multiple offers. What are you seeing or feeling? I see, I see some of that. I see some of that. I've, I've experienced it as well. Um, and also experienced some people on multiple offers doing um, just what they 
like looking at the listing, like it's been on 30 days and they're trying to get a deal for it. Uh, we yeah. had, we had one not too long ago that we had multiple offers and the majority of those offers were under full price, you know, the right price. I mean, it got the other ones up, you know, but it was very, it's very interesting to me. And I think maybe people are getting a little, you know, gun shy and, and just saying, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And, uh, but there's still, it's still happening. You know, there's still ones that are happening, but I think if you go on the market and you try to push it too much, I think you're making a mistake. I think pricing is a huge thing right now. Um, and being the right price, the right pricing it right will always get you more money than trying to price it higher so you can negotiate a little. Because people, and I've said this so many times, people don't go into a house thinking that, well, Courtney must have listed it at this price because she's really thinking about getting this price. They don't do that. They look at it like, well, there's the price. You know what? That's too much. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to get into multiple offers. It's not worth it. They move on. Well, if enough of those people move on, it's three weeks later, all of a sudden there's something wrong with the house, you know, because no house sits three weeks anymore. Which right. Is false, but it's, that's what they think. So let's pretend I'm sitting across the kitchen table from you two and I'm trying to help you sell your house. And I, this is an analogy that I've been using a lot <laughs> because the, so when you list your house and you're under 350, um, doesn't seem to really matter at what price point. And you you pick a price. And let's say that your house, just making numbers up, is worth 230. And you say, well, geez, the market's going, you know, up. Let's list it at 239, right? Versus saying, hey, it's 230. Let's list it at 224.9. What happens is when you list it higher, all you're doing is helping all the other properties look better and immediately makes everything else look like a better deal than you. So now you basically have put pressure onto your other competition and you, you basically create your own competition, which becomes now the other sellers in your area, if there are any, okay? Versus if you price it right, now you have everybody's attention. That's like putting two worms on the hook. You're going to have every fish around that dock coming in to look because there's, you know, it's, it's attractive. And now the consumers start to compete with each other and they run the prices up higher they give you more options. They say, hey, we don't want an inspection or we have a limited inspection or we're doing it a quicker closing or whatever. I see the consumer when you price it fair. So I'll give you a perfect example. I had one where I just listed this last month for 224.9 and it was worth 230. We ended up in the 240s by the time the bidding war was over and we had where they're paying the gap between appraised value and purchase price. And it's, it's not, it's the consumer wanted to do it, gladly do it because they were looking for a property they could afford. And so, you know, and, and it's it's not that you're trying to run the prices up, but your job as a listing agent is to protect your seller and get them as much money as you possibly can and, and facilitate a fair transaction. And I think that that's the, the key thing is that let the consumers develop what we consider to be the market rate. The, when, the, when they compete, they create the new market value. And so that's that's what I've been going off of and everything I've been listing in the last month has been multiple, I mean, Dozens of showings, multiple offers. Um, I had one up in Ramsey, just to give you a quick example, where it was a real fixer-upper um, and kind of a, a quick move-out, you know, out-of-state seller. And we listed that house competitively to draw multiple offers. We had offers coming in $50,000 over our list price, cash. How do you beat that? My consumer won. They, they, they never would have ever imagined they would have got the money that they got for those houses or that house. And, and it was cash because the cash buyer came in and recognized, my gosh, this is a value, you know, but if we would overprice it, they would have never even came and looked at it. So anyway, that's my strategy. And then they, they put their, 
they put their value on it and what is worth to them when they try to go right. get it versus, hey, hey, everyone, this is it. This is what it is. And you're telling them all that. And then all of a sudden you, you do it lower. And then it's like, oh, my God, it's just so underpriced. You know, but how much? And that's to each of the, the eye of the beholder. And that's exactly what you did. That You did the right thing for the client. But that's, I think, from an agent standpoint, we have to fight for that. You know, yeah. I've, I've been on a couple market analysis and they want to they want to push it higher, you know, and I'm like, no, you can't. And this is why, And you know, most people say, oh, yeah, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, you know, uh, we'll put it on. And then they just contractually obligate you to just sit there on the market and then you'll eventually sell it at some point. But are you doing the right thing? And the hardest thing for people to understand is that they don't know if they overpriced or didn't overprice it if you price it right. But you always know if you price it wrong, if you overpriced it, because what happens, and let's just say, I'm just going to give numbers, um, uh, rather 699 versus 750, you know, and by going 750, you might have something, uh, an issue with your house that could be a problem later on, might not be at the beginning. Um, let's just like stucco. We'll talk about stucco. So it's a stucco home. Well, there's a, there's a thought process in people that, Hey, that might, might have moisture problems. We might have to replace the whole thing. So if it's at 750 and you've pushed it and no one's buying it, a month later, now the stucco is a, a huge issue. And so rather than 750 and then 699, all of a sudden it gets to 649 and you get 634. You know, where you if you would have had it at 699, you could have probably maybe got multiple offers and got it higher and or got it and saved yourself a year of time. And that is an example yeah. of a house that I had. And yep. in the interesting part of this house, I switched the prices. They didn't list with me at the beginning because of the price I told them at the start. And it wasn't a house in Chanhassen, was it? Just nope. kidding. <laughs> we we had our eye on one of those. <laughs> well, yeah. So that, that is the thing. And, and then well, sometimes there's nothing wrong. But us as consumers think there's got to be something wrong. There's mm-hmm. something weird here. There's got to be because something it wrong. Hasn't sold and it's dro- the price is dropping. And yeah. Well, but Chris, I think that, that you put yourself into the mind of a seller, but why wouldn't I put it for sale for what I want? Because what if I don't get what I want? You, you don't have to accept the offers. I mean, if somebody comes in low, you don't have to accept it. For God's sakes, I've watched builders, home builders do this for years. They list the house for 400000 and then they get it done and they add the landscaping, they add a deck, they add a whatever, the purchase price goes up. I go, what's wrong with you pulling your house off the market, making some small improvements and putting it back on the market at a different price? Nothing. Nothing. There's no rules saying that you have to. I mean, as long as you're adding value to that house, you don't have to feel like you failed. You don't have to list and sit. I always tell people, hey, you got seven days. And if you don't have an offer in seven days in today's market, we're going to have to sit down and reevaluate what, what, what's wrong. Is it overpriced? Is the condition bad? Is it, you know, the marketing? Are we not pushing the right buttons to the consumer? And then you, because you don't want to sit very long, like Chris is saying. Otherwise, you become bruised fruit, man, and nobody wants to buy it. And so you, you do want to stay fresh. You want to stay on the, well. Can we do it? Can we do this just one time? All his analogies and just write them all down from one show. I mean, we have bruised, bruised fruit to, two, two two, uh, on book, on uh, you know, list and sit. And <laughs> it's, but I, I don't know how you come up with that stuff. Is it just off the cuff or do you think about this thing? Uh, this I believe it's all genetically in my head from my parents. Okay. It's a, it's actually a good thing, but I just, I just chuckle all the time. I've been hearing these things for 10 years and uh, he's, and he doesn't repeat them. He always comes up with something different. <laughs> but it's unbelievable. 
I should have been a Southern boy. You know what I mean? Uh, well, that's like chicken bits and gravy. You know, they always have some kind of. Just alienate our Southern audience. <laughs> well, that's Lakeville. That's not. Uh... <laughs> oh, Lakevilleites. We love you. Uh, all right. Well, guys, thanks for waiting in on that. I know we're over time, so I'm going to wrap us up here. Um, we are glad you guys had a chance to join us this week. Remember to like and follow us on Facebook so that you get our live notifications when we go live on Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. If you have questions, share them with us. You have my email on the screen, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y at AmplifyUp.com, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.